0: We are on a 13-week series called Surviving Suffering, and we're presently going through the book of Job, and we'll continue to go through the book of Job, and then we'll start jumping around into First Peter, then also into the gospel, right before we get into Easter. So 13 weeks, we're going to be walking through this. Somebody told me one time, and I would just tell you that being a pastor is really intimidating and and people's comments make it even more intimidating. And one comment that made it even more intimidating is that don't get behind the pulpit and ask questions, get behind the pulpit and give answers. (laughs) And I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm already nervous about even getting behind the pulpit. I'm not supposed to bring up a whole bunch of questions and I'm supposed to get back here and start giving answers. I said, well, what if I, what if I don't know the answer? It's like, then well, don't get behind the pulpit. Uh, don't bring the subject up. Stay away from it because answers are supposed to be given. Well, yeah, getting behind the pulpit's one thing, but you know, people think, well, I'm gonna go to the pastor and I'm gonna ask for advice to see what the Bible says on many things. And I will tell you one question that keeps coming up uh, in many people's lives is not a general question, but more of a specific one. And the questions look like, why do I have cancer? I'm young." In fact, I'm young, and and I don't have much long to live. Why is this taking place? Other questions is, why did God allow this car accident to happen? Did I do something wrong? What's taking place? Why did it happen? Why am I I paralyzed as a result of this car accident? Why did uh, my house burn down? Why did my family pass away? Why did I lose my children? Why do I go bankrupt why was I abused as a child and I was helpless as a child and I had parents that did not um, expect any sort of boundaries whatsoever and I was completely and entirely abused? Why did that happen to me? Why did am I plagued with chronic pain consistently? I mean, give me the answer to what the Bible says of why uh, are you, do you have chronic pain and why do you have it consistently? Why did the tsunami take place? Why is the school shootings that happen? Now, a lot of these questions, you know, you give the general answers, and we gave the general answers in the first uh, weekend of the service that we're talking about, but we don't want general answers in regards to what the whole picture is, because the general answer is that, you know, sin came into our life, and as sin came into our life, our nature says that we will die, and as a result of that, everything comes in, but there's still those questions, why is this happening to me? It's happened not happening to nobody else. Why is it happening to me? And i got to give an answer. And I would say, I don't know. <laughs> There's a lot of mystery in suffering. A lot of mystery and a lot of questions when you start talking about the very specifics. But I will tell you that Job addresses the context of mystery. Job addresses the issue of mystery. In fact, the whole book of Job is about what? Job is going through horrific suffering. And as he is going through horrific suffering, what's he doing? He's asking the same question all of us are asking. Why? 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 And he has three friends come up and say, hey, let me tell you the reason why. And as these three friends come up and say, why? Then Job starts to think, and he says, no, that's not why. This is probably why. And do you know what takes place? That happens nine times. So far, in Eliphaz, walk up to him and say, "Job, this is the reason why you're suffering." Job says, "No, that's not the reason. This is the reason." Comes again, "This is the reason why you're suffering." No, that's not the reason. This is reason. This is the reason. No, that's the 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 reason. And then the book of Job is complete. Are asking the same questions we're asking? Why? And then all of a sudden, God gets the reins at the end of the book. And when God gets the reins at the beginning of the book, um, he's probably going to say, "Do you know why you suffered? <laughs> at the beginning of the book, I made a deal with Satan. And uh, when I made this deal with Satan, he went through this. And it was very, very tough. But I'm just going to tell you that that's the reason why. Because we know the reason why. But he never tells Job that. He doesn't tell Job why. In fact, Job suffers we don't know how the period of time that he suffers. But Job suffers during this period of time, which is a horrific amount of suffering. And he gets to the end of the book, and God finally takes the reins, and he doesn't tell him why. But do you know what? When, Job takes, or when God takes the reins and starts explaining to Job, he tells him something better than the answer. Why? He tells him something better than the answer. Why? Number one, to survive suffering, you need to be looking for things bigger than answers to your questions. Now, we're going to read the passage. It's not the passage we read last week, but it's very similar. We read chapter 1 last week, and this is where we're reading parts of chapter 2, and it's just the second round of of misery that Job will be going through. And in this, you will see that reason why Job is suffering, but you will see it, and Job will never see it. You will see it, but Job will never see it. Let's just read, and then we're also going to go through some review. Job 2, 1 through 10, says this. On another day, the angels came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came with them to present himself before him. And the Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, From roaming through the earth and going back and forth in it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. And he still maintains his integrity. Though you incited me against him, "'to ruin him without any reason. "'Skin for skin,' Satan replied. "'A man will give all he has for his own life, "'but stretch out his hand and strike his flesh and bones, "'and he will surely curse you to the face.' "'The Lord said to Satan, "'Very well, then. "'He is in your hands, but you must spare his life.' "'So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord "'and afflicted Job with painful sores, "'from sores of his feet to the top of his head.' Then Job took a piece of broken pottery and scraped himself with it as he sat among the ashes. His wife said to him, Are you still holding on to your integrity? Curse God and die. He replied, You are talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? In all this, Job did not sin in what he said. Just a little bit of review from last week, and also we can see that's in the passage. Number two, the book of Job combats the quid pro quo relationship many have with God. What is quid pro quo? You don't love a person for who they are. You love a person for what you can get from the person. Uh, It's a pretty wicked relationship, and you know what? We easily can have that with God. God, I don't love you for who you are. I love you for what I can get from you. And this confronts it. How does it confront it? Look at the deal. Look at the bargain. Look at the business relationship that is going on. Satan says, a man will give you all he has for his life, but he will start messing with your relationship if you take it away. In other words, the only reason why Job even loves you is because you give him things because you protect him, because you guide him, because you comfort him, because you put this hedge of protection around him. But you start pulling that stuff away, you will really see what your love is based on. We see it again. Stretch out your hand, and he will curse you. If you do something wrong, that love relationship is going to be gone. Strike his flesh and bone, and the relationship will be over. Job's wife even comes to the point, let's make a deal, Job. It's over. Curse God and Get out of your misery. You see, there's lots of bargaining that takes place. It's a business relationship that says, my relationship's not built on love and commitment. My relationship is built on what I get specifically from that person. Now, this doesn't work in a marriage relationship, and, uh, and we know that. And the reason why we know it is because in our wedding, we end up saying vows, and the vows exist to combat the quid pro quo relationship. How does it combat it? We say words like this. I love you in sickness and in health. That means I love you no matter if you're sick or if you're not. I will still love you. I love you for richer or for poorer. It doesn't make a difference. My love is there because I'm making a commitment to love and it will not stop. Completely unconditional. For better or for worse. And relationships get destroyed as a result of those commitments breaking. And when those commitments break, what happens? That's when the relationship starts to go down. It's not a quid pro quo relationship. And it's also the reason why I even put it in here is because it's not acceptable for our government to have it either. <laughs> in other words, you guys have probably been watching the news and you go, oh, this sounds really, really familiar. It's like, no, it's you cannot do it even with the government. In fact, they say it is against the law. In fact, the comment is that it is an impeachable offense. What does quid pro quo mean? Look at the notes quid, I will do this, pro, therefore, quo, God will do that. Does God accept that as well? Is that what you call love? I mean, the whole Bible is talking about first commandments, love God and love people. Is this the explanation of love? The reason why I bring this up is because if you don't believe that God loves you so much unconditionally and that if you mess up, You can consistently go to his embrace. If you do not believe that to your core, you'll go into another religion or you'll even embrace Christianity under the context that I've got to get to heaven somehow and if he does not love me unconditionally, then there's got to be another method and the only other method is quid pro quo. I've got to get to heaven. If there's a heaven, I've got to do something to get there. I've got to please him to get there. I've got to work to get there. I've got to accomplish something to get there. I've got to get to heaven. If any religion's out there, and heaven is the goal, if you do not believe that God loves you so unconditionally, then you are completely in a different religion than Christianity. Because here's the base of Christianity. The base of Christianity is that I am a no good, rotten sinner that deserves absolutely nothing but death for what I've done. There's nothing I can do to impress God. There's nothing I can do to work my way up to heaven. There's nothing I can do to do something that's so amazing that God would look at me and say, I've got to save that person. There is absolutely nothing there. It says in the Bible that I am dead in my trespasses and sins, that I am completely a hater of God. But God, being rich in mercy, there is the unconditional love. But God, being rich in mercy, left heaven, came to earth, And lived the life that I should have lived if I was ever going to be in heaven. He lived the perfect life without even one sin. And then he died and took all my sin. This is completely unconditional. He died and took all my sin upon his shoulders because he lived the life I should have lived. And now he's dying the death that I should have died. Put all my sin on his shoulder and paid the price for my sin. And then he went to the grave. And then he rose again. And conquered sin and death. And then he looks at me and says, what? Do this, do this, do this, do this, do this? No, he says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. See, it's completely and entirely unconditional. What about all the rules? What about all the works? What about everything that takes place in the Bible? Let me tell you what happens. Is that when we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and our eyes are open to him, it says in John, that the Holy Spirit fills us. It says in Colossians, it, Christ is in us. When we see that love, when we embrace that love, when we swallow that love, what is going to happen? You're going to sweat. You're going to work. You're going to move. You're going to get excited. What do you mean you're going to sweat? You're going to work. You're going to move. You're going to get excited. What happens is it, the Bible calls it fruit. The fruit of the Spirit is going to come out of your system. When you embrace that love and God is in you, you're going to have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Why do we set goals? Why do we make commitments? Why do we work? Everything we do is based on this relationship that we want to build with God. And as we continue to build this relationship with God, fruit's going to come out. Why? It's the same way it works with my wife. Whenever I make commitments and goals to build this relationship with God... What happens? Our love goes deeper and richer and more powerful and more powerful and more powerful, but then all of a sudden something goes downhill. When something goes downhill, is that love broken? No, that love's not broken. When salvation is given to a person, you are literally made into greatness. What do you mean by made into greatness? Well, the Bible refers to made into greatness as you are literally born again. You are alive in Christ, you have a new heart, a new mind. You have a new life. You have a new world for you. You have a new attitude. You have a new eternal home. You have a new father made into greatness as you have just been adopted in the family of God, made completely from your old life to your new life. That is salvation and has nothing to do with quid pro quo. Number three, God doesn't make people into greatness by giving them things he makes people into greatness by giving people himself when you start looking at the topic of well god's out there i will tell you that it's really tempting to say he's a big one and since he's a big one there's a lot of things that i need on this earth And that temptation does bring a complete consumption of I want his hand. I want his hand. I want his hand. Why do you want his hand? Because I need his help. I need his help. I need his help. I need his strength, his strength, his strength. But he wants to make you into greatness not by giving you his hand. He wants to make you into greatness by giving you his heart. And he wants you to fall literally in love with him. Number four. Number four. The only way Job could learn to love God for himself alone was to allow him to suffer and not know the reason why. You know, there's one thing about suffering, but there's one thing that when somebody has the answer that loves you, doesn't give you the answer. I mean, there's something that is really difficult about suffering, but that question that comes up, why, I will tell you it was a legitimate question. And the reason why it's such a legitimate question is because God could have really helped Job out. You know how he could have helped him out he could have said, Job, you're gonna go through some horrific suffering, horrific suffering, but survive it. And the reason why I want you to survive it is because your name is gonna be in the canon of scripture. My Bible will have your story and 42 chapters will be completely consumed by it. He could have helped him out. Why? Because it would be so much easier to go through suffering if I had the answer. Wouldn't it be easier? Or he could have even said, you know, the greatest piece of literature that has ever been written in a human language into mankind about the topic of suffering is gonna be your story, Job. And people will read it. And people will be changed. People will understand me as a result of reading it. So therefore, survive it because it has such an awesome purpose that is so far beyond you, you don't even understand Job would just, yeah, okay, okay, I can buckle down. This can be done. For 3,000 years, Job, they're not gonna put your book down. In fact, people, lives are gonna be completely turned around by the story that is given with you suffering. See, God really could have helped Job out, but what if he said those things? If God told him why he was suffering, I mean, I just tell you, it's gonna be a little temptation of mine if it was me. I'd start working for the canon of Scripture. And my suffering is like, this is going to be the canon of Scripture. And you know what? I'd start getting a little stronger for the purpose of being in the canon of Scripture. If it was me, I'm sorry. It would just be a temptation. For 3,000 years, people would read my story. Bring it on, God. <laughs> I mean, bring it on. Do whatever you want to do. 3,000 years, I can survive this. My name will be proclaimed for the rest of the world. Come on, bring it on. I'll take it. You start to manage your own story when you start to know answers. But the book of Job is that I have one focus. God has one focus and one focus only in the entire story. And that is that Job will look at his face. That Job would embrace him beyond all that he lost. And then what the world's going to see. The world is going to see a man who loved God for who he is, not for what he gives him. And that's the point of the book of Job. And that's the story we are hanging on to. But God could have messed the whole thing up. And all he had to do to mess the whole thing up is say, Job, this is why you're suffering. And how would he mess it up? He would have messed it up because the picture, the mission, and the drive was so far beyond Job's mind that he couldn't even conceive it. So far beyond his mind that he conceived conceive it. And that's what he wanted to hand to the world in this story. So where does this put us? Number five, again, a repeat, to survive suffering, there are things that we need to know more than answers to our questions. Bildad, Zophar, Eliphaz, and Ihu, he was another person that came up and says, we got answers, we've got answers, we've got answers, we've got answers, and we want answers right now, <laughs> all of us. Why do I have cancer? Why this? We want a list of answers that are taking place. Well, I will tell you that when God gives the reins, he is speaking to Job, but he's speaking directly to us. That says, you want the answers, but I'm gonna give you something better than the answers. Something larger than the answers. Something more magnificent than the answers. So there's five things. There's actually more than five. I just picked out five because I only have 30 minutes to preach. Five things that he gives. Letter A, this is what we need to know. Instead of the answers. You need to know that God is in control. You're not. What happens is that. We want to know the answer. Because we want to maintain control. I mean I'm just talking me maybe. We want to maintain control. And suffering is the ultimate source. That says it is out of control. But if you understood the answer. If God told you the answer why. Do you think you can maintain control? You can't. You can't maintain control. I want control. Give me the answer, but you have no power to maintain control, and you know it. All of us know it. We have no power to maintain the control whatsoever. We also want to know the answer because we really want to fix it, but you know what? You have no power to fix it. The power is not in your hands to fix what is going on with you at all. We want to know the answers because we want to observe it. We also want to evaluate God to see if he really has good motives behind it. I mean, sorry God, did you just give me the answer so I can really see that if you're for me, so I can see that if you really love me or I can see if you're toying with me. I think if Job got the answer said, "You did what with Satan?" I mean, I mean that that's what he would probably say if he got the answer. But we want the answer because we really want to evaluate God to see if he's one that we really want to worship or not. You want the answer? I'd want an answer because I want a solution for it. But there's nothing inside of me that can give a solution. So here, God makes this comment to Job, 38. You send the lightning bolts on their way? Do they report to you, here we are, Job? (laughs) Job is here pleading, give me an answer, give me an answer, give me an answer. And God's like, what? Do you send the lightning bolts on their way? Do they report to you? Here we are. The answer is no, Job. (laughs) The answer is no. The lightning bolts don't report to you, but they report to me. (laughs) And remember the love relationship that we have? Look at the sky. Look what's going on. All of that reports to me. And do you remember the relationship we have? This relationship is unconditional. This relationship is heart-to-heart. This relationship will not let you go. And by the way, the lightning bolts report to me. Gives them something else. You need to know that God has taken care of you and he won't stop. Again, the question comes up. God, give me the answer. Give me the answer. Give me the answer. Give me the answer. Give me the answer all the way through the book of Job, and then God gets the time to speak. You're waiting for the answer, and this is what he says. Will the ox consent to serve you? I would have said, who cares about an ox, God? I want an answer. God's like, you know, just shut up and listen for a second. Will the ox consent to serve you? Will he stay by your manger at night? Can you hold him to the furrow of his harness? Will he till the valleys behind you? Will he rely on him for his great strength? Will he leave your heavy work to him? You can trust him to bring you in grain and gather it to your threshing floor? What is God saying? I know what God's saying. The reason why is is because I have cows. (laughs) And uh, there's one story in particular that uh, my cows got out, a bull got out, and a heifer got out. And when they got out, I went on my quad to go look for them and I drove, and I drove, and I drove, and I couldn't find them, and I drove further and further and further. In fact, I was driving so far away that I'm thinking, this is absolutely ridiculous. They're probably right next to my field, and I have no idea where they're at, and I drove, and I drove, and I drove, and I drove, and then late, late that afternoon, I got a phone call from a guy named Bert Morris, and Bert says, there's two cows that are over in this field. Are they yours? And I'm like, yes, they are. I drove to those two cows. You know what? They were three miles away. Three miles away. So I show up to these three cows, and I'll tell you, I looked at that bull. And that bull is 2,500 pounds, pushing 3,000 pounds, and he's three miles away from my house. Bert Morris walks up behind me and says, How do you plan on getting that cow back to your house? I said, I'm going to take a rope, I'm going to throw it around his neck, tuck it to the back of my truck, and I'm going to drag it home. And he says, Have you ever put a rope around a bull's neck before? the bull will drag your truck. <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay, all right, well then I'll shoot it. I'll shoot it right here and I'll butcher it, and I'll get the meat and it's gonna be done. I, it's like, you got the heifer too, that's, a, you know, that's not really gonna work. Well, Bert, who's a lot smarter than I am when it comes to animals, he says, you know what, they're hurting animals. All you have to do is herd them back, herd them back. I mean, these things are 3,000 pounds. Yeah, but they have some mechanisms inside their brains that we can get them back easily. Why don't we get one more quad? We'll put one quad in here, one quad here, and one quad in the back. And what we'll do is we'll take the heifer, not the bull, because he's ornery. We'll take the heifer, not the bull, and then we'll get behind him, and then we'll just get this heifer back to the house. For three miles, three quads, this heifer was running as fast as they could back to my property with the bull chasing as fast as he could right behind me and sure enough we were going through the fields we were going through the filbert orchards and for three miles I put him in and I'm like oh my goodness that was good was that by accident was that by accident no God created him to have mechanisms inside of their mind that you can control a 3,000-pound animal when he's three miles away from your home. Let's look at the passage. Will the ox consent to serve you? Do you think it's an accident that these oxes are serving you? It's not an accident. I put mechanisms inside of them to serve you. Do you think that he'll stay by your manger at night? I have over 10,000 pounds of cows right now on my property. And you know what? They listen to my command and a little bit of food. But they stay in the manger completely at night. They're completely controlled. 10,000 pounds completely controlled. You hold them in a harness that you can train a cow to put a harness on him and you can move him wherever you absolutely want. Do you think this is all by accident? You think it was by mistake that I built him this way? Do you think that you can use him to rely on your strength? Remember, you're not a powerful person, but I've given you this animal that's an ox that is so powerful, and you know what you can do? He can plow your field. He can bring your grain. What does it say? You can leave all the heavy work to him. You don't even have to do it. Do you think that it's an accident that this ox was built this way? Do you think that evolution all of a sudden just made a mistake, and all of a sudden we got an ox? God continues to go on. Do you give the horse his strength? Or clothes the neck with mane? Do you make him leap like a locust? Strike in terror with his proud snorting? He paws fiercely, rejoicing in his strength. Charges into his fray. He laughs at fear, afraid of nothing. He does not shy away from the sword. Do you think it's an accident that that back is twisted? Just perfect for a human being to get on top of when it comes to the horse? you think that it's by an evolutional mistake that it happens? No, God says, human beings need a horse. What they do is they need something they can get on and that can run a lot faster than them. Therefore, I will design them. And you know what? He even designed the horse for war. That's what God's saying to Job. I haven't even designed the horse for war. What are we charging the battle with? We charge into battle with horses. That's all the way back then. And I know that right now we're not charging the battle with horses, but have you guys seen Star Wars? I mean, this is a spoiler alert, but at the very end, I mean, they even get on the spaceship and what gets out of their speeders. Horses, I think they're horses, but what takes place is they're designed completely entirely for us. Look at, there's a mane, you don't have a saddle, you can still get on because there's a place to hold on to. I put that mane specifically there for you to hold on to. Do you think that's by accident? Do you think that's by mistake? He does not shy away from fear in battle. We are charging into battle. And do you know that horse is not afraid? Do you think, you know, how did that happen? In fact, he's not afraid of the sword, but he's also not afraid of the gun. I mean, I think God looked at it and said, okay, this is going to be a large picture. They're going to start creating guns here. They're going to start creating swords here. We need this horse for battle. Therefore, we need to make his ears strong enough that you can take a pistol and shoot over his head and his ears will not go deaf. You think that's by accident? You think it's by accident that you can have a machine gun, something extremely powerful over a horse, and he's still okay? He'll still charge? He'll still be with you in battle? Job, what God is literally saying to Job is that you are completely taken care of in every single situation and circumstances that you're in. Completely taken care of in every single situation, in every single circumstance that you're in, all the way from the ox, from the mule. In fact, I would even say that these things are designed for you. Because then you can eat them too. Everything is completely designed for you. It's not an evolutional process. It is literally the hand of God making a statement that he has taken care of you and he always will. God loves you. He loves you like crazy. And he has complete power to take care of you and he won't stop. Number C, you need to know that God is involved in everything. In our suffering, you have one big question. Well, another, here's another big question is where is God? I don't feel him. I don't see him. I don't know him. And here's his response. Have you entered the storehouse of the snow? Or have you seen the storehouses of hail? Hail which I reserve for times of trouble for the days of battle. Say, whoa! I am so far, so strong, so sovereign, so everywhere. Have you entered these storehouses of the snow? Because I've been there. <laughs> every single snowflake that falls from the sky, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm there. You know, I, I completely understand it. I completely know it. And I completely know every single hair that you have literally on your head. And then don't forget... We have this unconditional love relationship that I won't break this love relationship. And Job, you need to know that. Another thing we need to know is you need to know that God is more capable of making things good for you than you are. We have an idea and we have a plan in our life. And I don't know how to say it nicely, but our plan, my plan, my idea is stupid compared to what God has planned for us. And the reason why it's stupid is because I cannot Fathom the plan that God has for me. I can't even imagine it. In fact, I can't even take it. I can't even put it into my mind. I can't. We want splendor and we want majesty. We want glory. We want respect. We want all these things, and we'll live all our life trying to find those things. And we'll even put in some quid pro quo that if I do this, God, will you just give me a little bit of this? And God's like, you just don't understand. Job 40. Do you have an arm like God? I'm the one that carries the power. Do you have a voice of thunder like his? If you have all of it, then why don't you adorn yourself with glory? It's not looking very good for you. But if you have it all, you adorn yourself with glory. You adorn yourself with splendor. And clothe yourself in honor and clothe yourself in majesty. God is saying, I have the capabilities of doing it. You don't, and it will be done as we're walking through this suffering." And we even see in Peter that even through the suffering, something so far beyond us is even taking place that we can't even comprehend. We don't even know what's going on. Letter E, you need to know that God has a better plan than one you can come up with. Suffering is creating us something bigger than we can possibly imagine and Job 42 makes the comment, I know that you can do all things No plan of yours can be thwarted. This is Job speaking. You ask, and this is God speaking, who is this that obscures my counsel without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to even know I am way out of my league. That's what Job's saying. I have suffered, but I am way out of my league because I have a God that is so far beyond all of it and is using it for something that I do not even know why. And why am I so aggressive to even thwart that plan, manage that plan, or even micromanage that plan when I have a God that loves me as much as, as much as He does? Remember that He loves you and He knows better than you, even when we start asking questions. Number six, hope doesn't come from solution to the problem, but it comes from focusing on Jesus there's a lot of suffering and mystery. There's a lot of mystery and suffering. And when we are wondering why do we suffer, why do we suffer, and why do we suffer, what we want to do is we want answers, we want answers, we want answers, but what God wants us to do is to look past that question and see his face. What God wants us to do is look past that question and see his face, because that is exactly what he gave Job when he consistently asked why. Look past the question of why, and see my face. Because everything has a purpose, everything has a mission, everything has a reason. And the reason is more than you can possibly even imagine. And I hold all control in my hands. Father, we just thank you that we have a God in our suffering. That the God of the universe, God is in complete control. He has all power, all sovereignty, all strength. And God, without that all power, all sovereignty, and all strength, he has an unconditional love for us. God, just those words alone, God, are just absolutely amazing. I just pray that those words of an unconditional love with all power, all strength, all mission, all vision, all purpose, that we would embrace that, God. And we wouldn't even be distracted or even consumed or even swallowed up in our suffering that we'll hold on to you, God, in the process of our suffering. Thank you, God, for giving us this amazing gift of your son and for saving us. In Christ's name, amen.